So their, their pain point is like, how do I break the $1 million ceiling or euro for whatever the case may be? So the reason I bring up these two is like, now I know this about my clients. So now I understand what their pain points are, but I don't know. I want to know who they are selling to. So here's how I use AI for that. So for AI, what I use for AI, we have a process where we reach into about 40 different resources that are generated by machine learning and also by AI and automation and scraping. So we have one master, imagine like an octopus going out to 40 different directions and we prompt it. It's our in-house uh, AI, AI streamliner that basically says, okay, I want to find for this size company, let's go with the first one saying they're been around for two years. They have maybe five to six employees. And um, and I want to scrape their website, their LinkedIn profile, any news sources. I have all that. Then I take and I create a prompt for that to connect into OpenAI, which is ChatGPT. And I say the prompt is so carefully structured to tell me, give me three ICPs for this client, ideal client profiles. Mm -hmm. So then it comes back and it says A, B, or C. So now what I'm doing is I'm building the email, right? So the email framework is basically, I know that if you've been around for less than two years, you have six people on your team, you're under 300,000, that you're having a challenge right now with lead gen. This week at the AI Optimist, AI and B2B common sense, part of an exploration of business, an interview with Jonathan Corsandi of Dewey who uses AI in a lead generation process for clients doing like South Korean startups doing augmented reality. Let's take a listen. AI and B2B. What important truth about AI and B2B marketing do very few people agree with you on? So there's this popular meme. I had a feeling you were going to ask me this. So I, I, so I had some time to think about it. Uh, there's this popular meme that's been going on for the last three months that's designed to scare people into take action. And the meme is, well, AI will not replace your job, but someone who knows how to use AI will replace your job. And then just this morning, a new study came out by Morgan Stanley that 44% of jobs will be replaced by AI in the next three years. Um, so that's why I, I disagree. <clears throat> Uh, in terms of AI and B2B marketing and B2B sales, the, the fundamentals will not be replaced. And that is, especially when it comes to selling, I think it comes to uh, empathy, understanding empathy when you're talking to someone, reading body language. At some point, AI can do that too, but it's um, it's a matter of building intimacy. Now, there's different thoughts on that, ranging from someone like Yuval Harari saying, well, all AI has to do is be able to build intimacy. It doesn't have to be conscient or sentient. It, it just has to be able to build intimacy. So going back from a less philosophical perspective into what B2B marketing, uh, I think common sense cannot be replaced. Like a lot of the work we do is is the reason why people like working with us because we use common sense to approach a problem and then we use AI to figure out how to scale it and augment it. Well, that's a great point, though. I always like to say common sense had by few. What's what sort of like is sort of like a foundational common sense about B2B marketing that's really important, even without with or without AI? What sort mm. of common sense, like a couple things can you point out that you either hear from people or can see? I won't say that they don't have it, but sometimes like someone starting up, they might. What What sort of common sense could they learn? That's interesting, uh, based on who you talked to, right? So just this morning, um, I was doing a presentation to an incubator out of South Korea to their South Korean startups. 
in uh, ranging in technology from like AR to to AR's augmented reality or mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. And uh, so common sense in their world is product language, product development, technology, engineering, right? When it mm -hmm. comes to marketing, I think common sense is understanding a key problem. Uh, one of the things I was trying to tell them like selling and marketing is solving. Like if, you, if you're good at solving a problem, if you're good at solving challenges, that means you're good at selling. You just have to know how to listen better and know when to shut up uh, so you can actually hear from people. So when it comes to marketing and sales, I would say common sense is listen very carefully. Uh, it's more important to ask the right questions than to, to impress people with how brilliant things you're going to do for your client or whatever. Right? So I always say it's, it's better to address a problem than to impress how brilliant you are. You're not here to impress anyone. So when it comes to marketing, I think common sense is just, just take your time, slow down. What is the problem you're trying to solve? I read in business school, and I'll never forget this. I went to uh, Cal State Northridge in California, uh, and my business teacher taught me, he said, uh, it was a uh, strategy. He's like, a, a problem well-defined is a problem 70 to 80% solved. And, and I think that's true. Like in the marketing, if you, if you know what you're solving for, then you're 80% there. You know, it brings up a great point that, um, and it's actually sort of ties into AI from a, a B2B lead gen story that I learned when I went to Jasper's conference. Uh, Jasper AI is a marketing yeah, yeah. AI software for folks who don't know. Um, so if there was this window tinting company, you know, the ones that sort of make darkened windows so people can't look in, yeah. um, usually used for celebrities, though, quite honestly, in the U.S., their reputation is also for drug dealers. Um, yeah, yeah. Not that that's true, but, but that's a stereotype, right? So this company had an, their ideal customer profile, had been in business for years, and they were really struggling because they went to the same people, affluent people who wanted privacy, whatever their reasons were. Their ICP yeah. was yeah. not clear. So they went and they asked, and this is one of the best uses I find to your point of asking great questions. So they asked AI, Jasper, what, you know, uh, acting like a business consultant for my window tinting company, give me some ideas of the top customers and the top challenges and problems that they face with window tinting because they thought they had known it all and they were gonna hire consultants. Long story short, one of the answers that came up was parents protecting their children from UV sun rays. This is something they had never even been in business while, but to your point, sometimes people get so set that that common yeah. sense got them in a box. Yeah. They pivoted to actually sell to parents and their sales went nuts. Just yeah. literally almost saved the company to your point. Yeah. And you can hire a consultant, and I'm not saying don't, but what's funny is that sort of common sense is, is usually lacking, but sometimes this is a, a weird thing with asking the right questions where AI can totally bring us sometimes yeah. a little bit of help. Yeah, yeah. I think also when you are thinking about AI, most people think ChatGPT, Jasper, like generative text, you know, uh, AI, <clears throat> and or generative predictive text. And I think there it's more than anywhere else. I think it's more important to know what, what is the question. And then if you're not happy with the answer, improve the question, keep improving the question. And, and I discovered a few months ago, a site called PromptBase where you can go in and basically buy prompts, like prompts for mid journey for ChatGPT for like five, six bucks. 
And then it's categorized into like, uh, what are you trying to figure out by the prompt that's gonna get you the result? These are the variables you can play with. So now there's a market for prompts, which is crazy. That market didn't exist a year ago. So that just gives a preview of like, what other things that we can't imagine right now are gonna exist in six months to a year from now. It blows my mind. It just completely blows my mind. Uh, so, so I think there's gonna be new jobs, new positions, new opportunities in a year from now that we couldn't have imagined. Uh, it's, it's crazy. And you and I have been in these circles around internet and around the, starting with the blogging and podcasting and all that for the last 20 plus years, maybe 25 years. And jobs that exist today didn't exist 10 years ago, five years ago. No one could have imagined it. Right, and it's really funny. You can actually copyright prompts, which is ironic that uh, you can't Isn't copyright it? the content you get out of, <laughs> but you can copyright the prompts because that's human-generated original. You know, yeah. let's segue into um, Forrester Research did a, a little survey for B two B, and it was real interesting because they found that a massive amount anybody doing B two B dominant is using AI already. This was uh, like in March of this year. And the four top uses were for targeting, personalization, marketing automation, and then chatbots was like a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. So let's jump into targeting and AI. When you're working with people, because I know at DWI, and that's DIWI.eu for those folks who want to find out Jonathan's work. At DWI, you have a whole approach that you obviously do with clients, and then also you have your appointment hacker. Talk to me about targeting, like when you're working with people, how do you use AI to target and what are some of the good things and bad things about using AI for targeting? Yeah, so this is where it comes back to common sense again, right? So before you use AI, you have to really know two things. You have to know your ideal client profile and you have to know what your value proposition is. And to, to your ideal client profile, you don't need a fancy, you know, 17 page PowerPoint on your ideal client profile. You don't have to know their deepest psychological demons and secrets. When you're talking B2B, basically you have to understand like what's the company, the industry, the niche, the level of seniority that you want to talk to. What are they facing? What are their job descriptions? How long they've been in the job? What are the challenges they're facing? What are they studying? What, what decisions do they have to make? That's the ICP research you want to do. What's the size of the company? How many employees? And so on and so forth. And then once you have that, you have a good starting point, right? And you understand your ideal client profile. So that means you have to understand, well, if that's my ideal client profile, why is that my ideal client profile? I must have a, a solution to the problem I think they're facing. Step number one. Step number two, your value proposition is very simple. Like I simplified it down to like a fifth grade level. You want to 10x the stuff they want. And you want to reduce the stuff that they don't want by at least 50%. Overly simplified, right? That's a good value proposition. Like 10x or more the good stuff that they want and reduce by 50% or more of the stuff that they don't want. So you have those two, you have a good ICP, and then you have a good value proposition. Now you have the foundation for a great offer. Now what's gonna make the offer even great or better is conversations with people. This is where AI comes in. So once you have understanding of like, what's my ICP or what's the, the, the value proposition, now it comes to targeting. And you go, okay, um, for example, we have two different targets at DB, right? Do we, like you said, spell D-I-W-Y, which stands for do it with you. And we have two core audiences, two ICP. One is the startup that's below uh, 300,000. They've been around for two years, maybe three. They have a team of about six people. And um, all their sales have been generated predominantly through their network, through hustle, 
through charm, through grit, whatever it takes. They got there to the first couple hundred thousand sales. They built a tech platform. They've self-funded it, raised a little bit of money from the government agencies and whatever. And now they're two years into it. All of a sudden, the founder wakes up. Let's call it a 3 a.m. brainstorming session, right? And like, crap, how do I generate leads? I know this because I've talked to, just this summer alone, I've talked to over 120 startups in Europe and the U.S. and in Asia and in Africa, live, in person, either virtual or in conferences. I walked the floor, I shook hands. I'm like, what's going on? What are you guys looking for? And that's that's one profile. And then the other profile is they're at half a million to 700,000 in sales. They've been around for three years, about 15 people. And um, they are just keep hitting five, 600,000, 700,000. They keep hitting that, that ceiling. They can't break a million because if once they break a million, they know they can go raise more money at better terms. Yeah. And investors are shrewder than ever, right? So their their pain point is like, how do I break the $1 million ceiling or euro or whatever the case may be? So the reason I bring up these two is like, now I know this about my clients. So now I understand what their pain points are, but I don't know. I want to know who they are selling to. So here's how I use AI for that. So for AI, what I use for AI, we have a process where we reach into about 40 different resources that are generated by machine learning and also by AI and automation and scraping. So we have one master, imagine like an octopus going out to 40 different directions and we prompt it. It's our in-house uh, AI, AI streamliner that basically says, okay, I want to find for this size company, let's go with the first one saying they're been around for two years. They have maybe five to six employees, and um, and I want to scrape their website, their LinkedIn profile, any news sources. I have all that. Then I take and I create a prompt for that to connect into OpenAI, which is ChatGPT, and I say the prompt is so carefully structured to tell me, give me three ICPs for this client, ideal client profiles. Mm-hmm. So then it comes back and it says A, B, or C. So now what I'm doing is I'm building the email, right? So the email framework is basically, I know that if you've been around for less than two years, you have six people on your team, you're under 300,000, that you're having a challenge right now with lead gen. But what is better is I even know who you're, who you're trying to sell to. So here's the email copy. The subject line is, hey, you're trying to sell more A, B, or C, this client, this client, or this client. And then my, I'm basically saying, hey, Doc, uh, hey, hey, Declan, um, I noticed you've been around for three years, which means you're getting here by luck. You got here by charm, by hustle and grit, selling through your network. Good for you. I'm curious, out of the five people on your team, how many are dedicated to bringing on A, B, or C? Happy to share what works in outreach. Very simple, straight to the point. I don't start my email. I say, hope you're well. Have a great year. You know, I don't care about any of that. I just go, are you want to sell? you want to sell more of these clients? You've been around for this many years. How does your team size? Who's dedicated to helping you grow sales? And I can tell you, a lot of times we get emails, of, wow, this was a great email. It was spot on. It's exactly what I'm going through. Now, another thing we scan for using AI, we scan their tech setup. So we scan, like, what are they using their technology for in, in, on a DMARC setup for email marketing? So DMARC, DKIM, and SPF, DKIM, and SPF. If they have those set up, we can scan that using AI. We know that they're serious about outreach, but they're probably not getting results. So we can acknowledge in email number two, either, hey, I noticed you set up DMARC. I'm wondering how that's going, how that's going for your outreach. Happy to share some other secrets with you. Let me know. Or I noticed you didn't set it up and your emails might be in the open spam and junk. 
Let me know if you want to fix that. Wow, so, that's um, I, I really just a second want to unpack that for folks who don't know what DKIM, SPF, yeah. DMARC are. I'm not going to get technically into it, but these are really, if you're emailing anyone, these must be set up or you stand no chance of getting in there. And what's yeah. really brilliant about what you're sharing is that allows us also to know the type of, uh, for one, their awareness and how they're using email. Because And seriously, so many don't know this and think it's technical. And I'm saying that for folks listening here, they're like, wait, wait, what is that? Well, what's really brilliant is these are public records. So yeah. they also can tell you what services people use um, to give you an idea, like do they use HubSpot? Yeah. Uh, do they use other sort of things? So for email deliverability, these are really important. And I also love what you're talking about with the ABC, because that ties into personalization that you're actually addressing a need for something specific rather than another big mistake I see is people blasting and using yeah. this to sort of be, it's really lazy. Like you got to give, at least give us three buckets or something that yeah. we can approach. So let me, let me follow this back with you. So if you're sending it out to those people, obviously we all know that there's multiple decision makers. I, I hate that word. It's almost dated, but yeah. uh, there's consensus decision-making. So yeah. there's executive level, like when I sold HR software, I would often go to certain levels of HR. I would also go to lower levels, work my way up or work my way down. I mm -hmm. have a lot. Can you even like, and the secondary question is, is it really feasible to even target um, C-level and things like that? In smaller companies, maybe, but in larger, I found that they're almost insulated from getting email. And I'm curious about your, your feedback on that in terms of do you... Segment by job title, you know, obviously yeah. size of company matters greatly here. So what tends to happen, we, we, we've gotten appointments for our clients. We've gotten them an audience with Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies. We've gotten C, like CMO, CFO, CFO level, CEO level even. Not necessarily direct audience, but their buy-in saying, oh, this is interesting. Please follow up with this person. And they just forward the email and CC the ones that we need to be talking to, right? So now we're getting a top-down referral into the appointment. Now the executive VP of sales needs to meet with us because the CEO said so or whatever. So mm -hmm. I think it works. The, the, the common misconception is like this only works on you know SMEs, SMBs, and, and not enterprise. It's not true. Like enterprise exists to be in business too. And if you have a good value proposition, good understanding of what they're going through, because when you get at that complex, that high level of selling, then obviously you need a bit of more sophisticated outreach. And for example, one of our clients, they sell augmented reality to um, beauty, skincare, and cosmetics. Uh, uh, and their clients are Chanel and L'Oreal and, and companies like that. So mm -hmm. with them, we're looking at directors of marketing in specializing retail for France. And because our client has like a, a retail experience that they can augment with augmented reality, that engages a younger audience. So the email outreach to them is like, we notice you've been a director of marketing in the last three, for three years, because we see how long they've been there. And we're curious, how has AR impacted your position over the years? And what are you doing for Christmas? Upcoming events in a retail event using AR, right? So now I'm like, I'm acknowledging how long they've been around in the position they're in. They have, it, they have Christmas and Valentine's Day coming up, New Year's. I'm sure they're doing events in retail for cosmetics. I mean, everyone is. And then the second email might be, um, how, how, if at all, are you using AR to engage the young, a younger uh, demographic to get them to buy because they're on their phone all the time, right? So we go back to the original question, which is how do you do targeting? How do you use AI for targeting? You use common sense to really, really, really know your customer. 
once you really know your customer and what pains they're solving, then you scrape and you put together the right AI table to say, these are the variables I want to talk about. Because once they see that, you get a high open rate in, in let's say, in direct outreach. Now you know they're engaged. Even if they don't reply, they don't book a meeting, you know they're engaged. Now you can maybe follow up later on LinkedIn. Maybe you can show them an ad later. Maybe you can call them, send a direct letter because it doesn't stop at email. Some of the things we're experimenting right now over the next coming months is saying, okay, all the ones that open emails for ourselves or clients, let's send them a, a postcard. Totally unexpected, old school, but hey, why not? Because I, I know they're opening our emails. I track that, right? So yeah. I can say anyone who opened our emails at least 15 times over the last three months, they, they, there's something there. There's rather than nothing. Let's poke that. Let's give them a call. Let's send a postcard. Let's go find them on LinkedIn. You know, let's try it out. Let's a multi-channel approach to this. So it doesn't just start and start with email. But targeting, mm-hmm. that's how I would use AI for it. And that's nice. where sense comes in, yeah. No, and also it makes so much sense with even like it's so odd with the postcard because there's so little competition. The AI Optimist. My name's Declan, and I'm done. See you next time. <laughs>